Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'm honored to be here with you and to accept this invitation from uh, Dr. Robert Matthews, Dean of Religious Instruction, to share some thoughts with you at the opening of this symposium on the New Testament. It's sometimes not only humbling, of course, but a little scary when you're introduced as Brother Matthews has just introduced me. To think of our responsibility, our responsibility to the Lord and to the people of the world. But I'm honored to be here and to participate with you. Though I never participated as a student in one of Dr. Sperry's classes, I have enjoyed and profited from his scholarly writing through the years and enthusiastically join with the faculty and all of you in honoring his memory. A great teacher and scholar, one worthy of such recognition, one who not only lighted but held high the candle of understanding particularly through his encouraging members of this church to study and enlighten their minds with the significance of the scriptures. I commend the organizers, the discussion leaders, and those of you who are participants in this New Testament symposium. I understand there are many here who are not directly identified with the university, or with the seminaries and institutes, but who have come to learn. We welcome all of you, those who have left their offices, their affairs, their shops, and their counting houses to come and attend this symposium. The story is told of the mother who was kneeling by the side of her young son as he was saying his prayers. The youngster turned to his mother and said, Mommy, will I go to heaven? Yes, son, you will go to heaven if you love Jesus. And I hope I will be there too. Hesitating then somewhat, she added, and also that your daddy will be there. And the youngster replied and said, Oh, daddy won't be there. He couldn't leave the store. Well, we're glad that you're all here and willing to take the time to participate. We are all familiar with the instructions given by Brigham Young when Carl Mazur was called to come to Provo to take over the leadership of the academy. Dr. Mazur asked Brigham Young what his instructions were. Brigham Young replied, Brother Mazur, I want you to remember that you ought not to teach even the alphabet or the multiplication tables without the Spirit of God. That is all. God bless you. Now I pray that I might have the spirit 
and blessings of the Lord during the few moments that I spend with you here this morning, and that as you attend the various discussion groups throughout the day, studying and being identified with the writings and convictions of the New Testament writers, that you will have a desire to learn more of the Savior, to picture in your mind the events as recorded, and strengthen your own belief that he was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. Our faith is centered in the living Christ, whom we seek to serve. Our prayers of gratitude ascend to God, our Eternal Father, for the successful carrying out of this great work of redemption, which was wrought by his Son, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. We believe and proclaim to the world that there is none other name under heaven among given among men whereby we must be saved. We know he is God's almighty Son and invite all men and women, young and old, to come unto Christ and to be perfected in him. We teach of his wondrous birth, his sinless life, his voluntary death as a consecrated sacrifice for the sins of mankind and his glorious resurrection with its promise of eternal life for all who believe. In a revelation given through the prophet Joseph Smith at Kirtland, Ohio in December 1832 and designated by the prophet Joseph as the olive leaf plucked from the tree of paradise, we are instructed. And I give unto you a commandment that you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. Teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory, in principle, in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God, that are expedient for you to understand of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and perplexities of the nations and the judgments which are are on the land and a knowledge also of countries and of kingdoms. A thoughtful study of these instructions will lead to uh, to our gaining knowledge about every phase of life, people, government, science, and as well as the judgments of God. This great university was established and is maintained to teach the true gospel of Christ, the plan of salvation, and to inspire and strengthen the understanding of students who occupy these classrooms and all of you that Jesus literally is the Son of God and that the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom of God on earth. We teach from the standard works 
that is the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. These four volumes are the standards. They contain the gospel, the will, the mind, word, and voice of the Lord. They present accurately the philosophy, the doctrine, the history, and give needed spiritual direction. And I must add the caveat regarding the Bible that it is true only insofar as translated correctly. These four volumes of Scripture become the yardstick to measure declarations or claims of even the wisest, wisest and the most learned men. What a blessing for members of Christ's church to have a gauge to judge the harmony of any philosophy or claims made by individuals within the church or outside, or outside the church to test such claims against the revealed scripture as contained in the standard works of the church. To assist and encourage our members in gospel study and to aid them in their use of the standard works, we have successfully con concluded a 10-year project that hopefully will firmly adhere us to the scriptures. Elder Boyd Packer at the recent October General Conference told of this history-making project which involved members of the Brigham Young University faculty, Dr. Ellis Rasmussen, former dean of religious instruction, and Dr. Robert Matthews, both of who are here with us today, and many others, along with James Mortimer, our director of church printing, who with his long experience in scripture publishing, all of these who labored tireless, tirelessly and closely with the Scripture Committee of the Quorum of the Twelve. This project has resulted in the cross-referencing of all four of the standard works and the writings of new chapter headings and index entries to ensure that all of the curriculum of the Church centers not only upon the Scriptures but upon Jesus the Christ. Elder Packer said of the project, it had its beginning in Old Testament times and as the fulfillment of a prophecy of Ezekiel. He wrote, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his, his companions and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. The sticks, of course, are records or books. The ancient Israel records were written upon tablets of wood or scrolls rolled onto sticks. The record of Judah and the record of Ephraim, according to the prophecy, were to become one in our hands. Brother Mortimer and Dr. Rasmussen were assigned to explore printing possibilities with the Cambridge University Press in Cambridge, England. They met with Mr. Roger Coleman, Director of Religious Publishing, to discuss the publication of a most unusual edition of the King James Version. The printers were quite as skeptical about this proposal as Egbert Grandin had been nearly 150 years previously regarding the first printing of the Book of Mormon at Palmyra, New York. 
The Cambridge Press in England had been publishing the King James Version since the first edition in 1611, but they had never been asked to do anything like this project. The text was to remain exactly as it was, no changes, not one. But all the footnoting, cross-referencing, chapter introduction, indexes, and so on were to be replaced. Only the chapter and verse numbering for the 66 books would be retained. And that was just the beginning. This edition of the Bible would be cross-referenced with three other books of Scripture, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. The printers had barely heard of these. But there was more. A new innovative system of footnoting was to be used. Instead of progressing from A to Z in each chapter, the letters would start over in every verse. More for immediate, for innumerable verses would have many footnotes in them. The technical problem seemed insurmountable. Computers could help, but there was always the human error. Now, how could you cross-reference the Bible with any other book? To cross-reference it with the three volumes was to require tens of thousands of footnotes. Thereafter, there would be hundreds of thousands of possible combinations of information. It was too big even to think about. The technical challenges alone were sta was staggering. To say nothing of maintaining accuracy, harmony, and consistency with the biblical text itself. How it could not be done, they thought. But in the meeting also was an unusual man by the name of Derek Bowen, editor, a most remarkable man. A World War II injury when he was in the British forces had left him unable to hear. Thereafter, he devoted his remarkable compensating abilities to the editing, typesetting, and printing of Bibles. He was perhaps the one man in the world who could direct such an unusual printing project. All of the problems mentioned so far related only to the printing part of the project. The actual compiling and organizing of the tens of thousands of footnotes would require many hundreds of workers. This work had already been underway for several years. Without the computer, it would be manifestly impossible. That also was but a beginning. There would, there would be a combined concordance and topical guide listing hundreds of subjects, a Bible dictionary, maps, and a new format. New chapter headings would be written, all in harmony with the sacred message of the Old and the New Testament. After more than seven, seven years of quiet, intensive work, the Latter-day Saints edition of the King James Bible came off the press. Already work was well underway on the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Over the years, manuscripts had come into our hands which made possible the correction of printers' errors in the, in the original printing of those books which had, uh, which had uh, crept into them. The work would be seen by more than sympathetic students and devoted members of the church. The cold, impartial eyes of research scholars would study it, and the angry eyes of enemies and detractors of the church would pour over them. 
it must be correct in every detail. Finally, after two more years, the book came off the press, the most accurate we have ever had. Three months later, after this great project had been completed, Derek Bowen of the Cambridge Press, a master editor of Bibles, and who cooperated in this great project, passed away in England. I have two grandchildren here today with me who are also great-grandchildren of the late Elder Albert E. Bowen of the Council of the Twelve. As I have studied this entire matter, I've, I'd say to David and Wendy who are here, I've had a feeling that maybe Derek Bowen of the, <clears throat> of the Cambridge Press some way will tie in to the Albert E. Bowen family. Both of them will be pleased with what has happened with that great project. You should know also that by recent decision of the brethren, the Book of Mormon will henceforth bear the title The Book of Mormon with the subtitle, quote, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. The sticker record of Judah, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the sticker record of Ephraim, the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ, are now woven together in such a way that as you pour over one, you are drawn to the other. As you learn from one, you are enlightened by the other. They are indeed one in our hands. Ezekiel's prophecy now stands fulfilled. When I was the president of the Scottish Mission some years ago, I met an elderly lady who lived out in East Kilbride, which was a, a one of the areas near Glasgow, Scotland. And she told me that as a young girl, she remembered James E. Talmage, who was president of the European Mission, coming to Scotland and meeting with a little handful of saints in one of their homes. She said, I'll always remember Brother Talmage talking to us about the Book of Mormon and the Scriptures. And he held the Bible and the Book of Mormon together as I am holding them here. And he said, Brother Talmage said to us, at the end of the Bible, if it was done correctly, would be the statement, to be continued in holding them. Interesting how that day has come. With the passing of years, these scriptures will produce successive generations of faithful Christians who know the Lord Jesus Christ and are disposed to obey his will. The older generation has been raised without them, but there is another generation coming along and others who will follow. The revelations will be open to them as to no other in the history of the world. Into their hands now are placed the sticks of Joseph and of Judah. They will develop a gospel scholarship beyond which their forebears could achieve. They will have the testimony that Jesus is the Christ, and be competent to proclaim him and to defend him. Some may say 
that we have lost our way, that we are not Christians. Should they turn to, to, to that one thing in which they know the least and probably have the least interest in which they have the least knowledge, the scriptures and revelations, they would find in the topical guide 58 categories of information about Jesus Christ. 18 pages of small print, single-spaced, list literally thousands of scriptural references on the subject. These references from the four volumes of scripture constitute the most comprehensive compilation of scriptural information on the mission and the teaching teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ that has ever been assembled in the history of the world. The work affirms an acceptance of, a reverence for, and a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow these references and you will you will open the door to whose church this is, what it teaches, and by whose authority, all anchored to the sacred name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer, our Lord. Last October the 15th, an unusual award was presented to this church for outstanding service in the Bible cause. Max Chopnik, vice president of the Layman's National Bible Committee and a prominent New York attorney, presented an award to the church. The citation reads, Presented to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in appreciation of outstanding service to the Bible cause through publication of its own, which features interpretive chapter headings, a simplified footnote system, and the linking of references to all other Latter-day Saint scriptures, thereby greatly enhancing the study of the Bible by its membership. Mr. Chopnik praised the scholarship that went into the production of this new edition. In accepting the award, President Hinckley said and assured Mr. Chopnik of, of his, and his organization that this people love the Bible. This people, this people believe the Bible and this people read the Bible. And he said the people of the church are trying to live by and in accordance with the teachings of the Bible and to have a personal witness that Jesus is the Christ. President Hinckley gave Mr. Chopnik a copy of our new Bible edition, plus one of our new triple combinations. And Mr. Chopnik noted that he had read the Book of Mormon before, but that would look forward to rereading it in the context of the Bible. He said that Cambridge University Press, printers of the new edition of the Bible, has won an award in England for this unusual typography in our new Bible. The King James Version has been preserved unchanged. The footnotes, cross-references, dictionary, topical guide required the work of hundreds over a 10-year period. We will forever be indebted to the scholars, the faculty, and faithful assistants who contributed to this historic project. In two precious volumes, we now have the doctrine, instructions, philosophy, history, and all matters of whatsoever nature they deal, 
presented truthfully and accurately and carefully cross-referenced with old with the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Unclear passages now understandable. Vague statements clarified by a most miraculous cross-referencing. In the Lord's preference to his Book of Commandments, he said, Search these scriptures, for they are true and faithful, and the prophecies and the promises which are in, in them shall be fulfilled. We are under divine instructions to teach the principles of the gospel, which are in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And thanks to some of you, this requirement of us can now be accomplished more effectively. Frederick Farrar, who was a fellow of Trinity College in Cambridge, England, was an archdeacon and chaplain to the Queen in his Life of Christ, written in 1870, wrote of the New Testament writers, The Gospels are, of their very nature, confessedly and designedly fragmentary. Not one of the four evangelists proposes for a moment to give an exhaustive account or even catalog of the parables, discourses, and miracles of Jesus, nor write a complete narrative of his three and a half years of public life. Each of them relates the incidents within his own scope and known to him by personal writings, written document, or by oral tradition but each tells enough to show that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. Thus, over a hundred years ago, Farrar, who would not have known of Joseph Smith at that time, probably, or the Restoration, but a believing Bible scholar, highlighted man's need for additional writings and, and revealed knowledge that might bring clarity to the fragmentary accounts of the God of the gospel writers. While attending a mission president seminar in New York State a few weeks ago, Sister Haight and I had the opportunity to attend a most unusual event. With ten mission presidents and their wives, we were invited to have dinner in the reconstructed Peter Whitmer farmhouse uh, in the rural township of Fayette, New York. The rustic house, now on the original site, has been carefully reconstructed and furnished according to the historical information available. I understand the present uh, restored home is resting, hopefully, on the original foundation and measures not more than about 20 by 30 feet. This is where the church was organized, April 6, 1830. It contains a small living room with a rock fireplace. Also on that main floor, a small bedroom, and upstairs are two additional bedrooms. How many of Peter of the Peter Whitmer family were still at home is not clear. Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were invited to stay with this Whitmer family in that small home until the translation of the Book of Mormon was completed. Emma also probably was there part of the time. 
As the dinner was nearing completion and the tables occupied and filled the little living room, I quietly walked up the plank stairs to see the upper room, which was divided into two bedrooms, and tried to visualize life in that small house in 1829 and 1830 when heavenly events of the Restoration were taking place. My emotions were deeply touched. I felt of the sacredness of that little home. Crowded? Yes. But its hospitality overflowing with the love they had for the Prophet Joseph and his associates. What deep faith and trust they demonstrated for the work he was doing. There was a well out in the back and trees not far away where Joseph, with the three who were to be the witnesses of angelic events and to witness an angel holding the plates that they might bear witness. As we left the little house that evening and walked a few steps out to the roadway, we were impressed with this peaceful setting. The moon was full and the sky was blue except for a few scattered clouds passing by. But we stood and reflected on that perhaps it was an evening like that when the little handful of faithful saints had met and the church was organized on April 6, 1830. Maybe they walked out of the little farmhouse as we did. Maybe the moon was shining through the trees as that night. But as we looked at the clear sky and the moon, I had an unusual burning in my heart as I reflected on how the Lord had blessed this work, had carefully shepherded Joseph and others who believed, and carefully, line upon line, and precept upon precept, appropriately, but with divine precision, guided the unveiling of his church. Slowly but surely, all phases, all events, all details, must be done in his way so that never again was the world to be left in darkness. Now while under the influence of that sacred setting in Fayette, I thought of the prophet Joseph in his despair and desire to secure some protection and aid for the members of the church of his going to Washington, the nation's capital. And calling at the White House, knocking on the door, 
being taken upstairs probably to meet President Martin Van Buren. His presenting the case and plea to the President of the United States to give some protection and aid to the saints who were being wrongfully treated and subjected to unlawful decisions by some local local magistrates and sheriffs. Martin Van Buren, who was running for re-election and typical of some politicians, probably would have looked upon this stranger from Nauvoo, Illinois, as the leader of a little band of rather uncommon people with excessive claims, strange practices, and religious pronouncements that would soon fade away and disappear into history. The prophet's trip to Washington was undoubtedly disappointing, and he would have felt rejected as he made the journey back to Nauvoo, but rejected only by insensitive men in the political process, not by the Son of Man guiding the restoration of his kingdom. With that event in mind, I would like you to picture the front page of the December 1925, 1981 edition of the Washington Post, one of America's two most influential newspapers, which, as you know, covers the national and international scene in some detail. On Christmas Day... The front page of that large metropolitan newspaper featured a picture of the Mormon temple in Washington. A special special picture had been taken at night showing the lighted spires of that beautiful temple. The newspaper caption read, Splendor of the Season, above the picture. And below the picture, this sentence, Christmas lights sparkle on trees and bushes of Washington Mormon Temple in Kensington, giving a fairyland luster to the white spired-topped edifice. End of quote. The word Christmas was not used anywhere else on the front page. The editorial department of the Washington Post must have determined that the most impressive way to express the joy and happiness and the hope of the Christmas season was to feature this spectacular night scene of the Mormon temple. Interesting to reflect upon. 140 years after the prophet Joseph was rejected in Washington, a white marble temple with an angel on the highest spire is the feature of the nation's capital newspaper. The editors must have been impressed that this one picture of the house of the Lord would tell the Christmas message. What better way to illustrate something worthy of the message 
of the divine birth at Bethlehem. Hours later, the highway was jammed with cars and people trying to drive by or to get into the parking lot of the visitor center. Now, as you meet in the various sections of this symposium today to discuss the New Testament, take strength and comfort in knowing of the great service rendered by church scholars and others in this cross-referencing of the standard works. And now contained in the most comprehensive compilation of scriptural information on the mission and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ ever assembled in the history of the world. There are some 16,000 references in this compilation. Some of those are here with you today. Recently, a historian writing of the lessons of history said, Ideals do not make their way except they be carried by persons and institutions. The carriers, he wrote, inescapably fall short of the ideals to which they bear witness. This is dramatically true of churches who bear his gospel, he wrote. As I reflected on that statement, I have been impressed with the great care that we have used in the past and must continue to show in never straying from the divine truths, the original writings and teachings made made available to us from ancient and modern scripture. As individuals receive conviction of the truthfulness of the gospel through the power of the Holy Ghost, then comes the obligation to bear witness to the world of the divinity of the Lord's work. Then, if we are always true to the standard works, we will never, as that author said, fall short of the ideals to which we bear witness. Just a few years before the church was organized, the the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith, A great and marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Behold, the field is white already to harvest. Therefore, therefore, whoso desires to to reap, let him thrust in his sickle with his might, and reap while the day lasts, that he may treasure up for his soul everlasting salvation in the kingdom of God. Yea, whosoever will thrust in his sickle and reap, the same is called of God. Therefore, if you will ask of me, you shall receive. If you will knock, it shall be opened unto you. Now, as the Lord continued, as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. And no one can assist in this work except he shall be humble and full of love, having faith, hope, and charity, being temperate in all things, on all things whatsoever shall be entrusted to his care. And then with this closing sentence, Behold, I am the light and the life of the world that speak these words. Therefore, give heed with your might, and then you are called. A few days ago, 
we buried a very special witness of our Lord. Elder Legrand Richards taught Jew and Gentile to their convincing that Jesus is the Christ. He told it in a manner that touched hearts with a spiritual piercing, perhaps a piercing unmatched in modern times. He taught with a love, a sincerity, a depth of conviction, a knowledge of the scriptures, the lessons of life in a, in a way unmatched in today's world. Brother Legrand was all was with his always ready affirmation of what the Spirit had borne to his soul as truth, his unapologetic emphasis on revealed truths in an age of intellectual skepticism, his awareness of divine moral commands, and his never-changing dynamic method reached a generation whose very existence sometimes had turned bitter. He was able to deeply influence a world where at times it seems as if it might have lost its soul. What a great example. While serving as Southern States Mission President, Elder Legrand Richards came up to one brother and put his arm around him and called him by name and said, How long have you been a member of the church? Forty years, the man answered. Brother Richards then asked, What are you doing in the church? Nothing. Do you hold the priesthood? He asked. No. Have you quit your tobacco? No, he had not. Brother Richards queried, What church did you belong to before you became a Mormon? When the man told him, Brother Legrand replied, Why don't you go back to it? You would make a good member of that church, and I don't see that Mormonism has done a thing for you. He then proceeded to teach him the parables of the talents and the statements of the Savior, that every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. It became the turning point in the man's life. Brother Richards, when he was the presiding bishop, had an open-door policy while serving as the bishop. No one who desired audience with him or his counselors would ever be denied a hearing. Our office door remained always open. The widow, the harassed businessman, the youth with his problem, the immigrant always received a kind word and assistance from Bishop Legrand Richards. A lesson for all of us. The faith-promoting events and the devotion of Legrand Richards probably would have been, would have had great appeal to the New Testament writer Luke, and perhaps others as they would have worked on in the compiling of the Acts of the Apostles. As we watched his final years and then days, the powerful ring of conviction never changed. In the temple, only a few days before his passing, we heard his teaching reach new heights of commitment. At the beginning of Elder Richard's first mission in Holland, he was assigned to work in the mission office. But he felt the urgent need to learn the language, to learn Dutch. 
and was often hampered because of his, his lack of proficiency. So he pushed his office work to get, it, to get it out of the way as fast as he could so he could study Dutch. And the spirit of his mission rested mightily upon him. He wrote, I was so anxious to preach the gospel that I found myself arising before 5 a.m. to study Dutch and to get my office work done so I could go out tracting. Day after day, he recorded that he distributed 50 or 90 or 100 tracks a day, and his return calls to gather them yielded many gospel conversations, though his Dutch was halting and incomplete. But the kind of effort he was expended, he was expending as a part-time missionary because of his office work far outshadowed the other missionaries who were working full-time because of his great spirit and desire to serve the Lord. While serving as the presiding bishop of the church and convalescing from a heart attack, he met with the First Presidency, and he said to them, Well, I found out what hell is like. What is it, Bishop? asked President J. Reuben Clark. To see the other man working and not being able to myself, he added, If there is any truth in the words of that song, there is sweet, sweet rest in heaven, then I'm going to ask to be routed in the other direction. (laughs) On April the 23rd, 1979, when he was taken to the hospital and there to remain in critical condition for nearly a month, his obituary was written, and the first presidents in the twelve were informed that it was only a matter of hours before he, he would be gone. And this was recorded in our temple minutes as we talked about him. The following week in the meeting of the twelve, Elder Richard said, I read in the minutes where, you'd re- where you've received word of my imminent demise. But I fooled you, didn't I? <laughs> At the April conference following Brother Richard's release from the hospital, President uh, Spencer W. Kimball announced at the first session of conference that all the general authorities were there except LeGrand Richards. A stir went through the audience because they had noticed that Elder LeGrand Richards had been helped in, into his seat, unknown, unnoticed by President Kimball. He was sitting there in full view of the conversation of the congregation, a blanket over his knees with his oxygen and a broad smile on his face. (laughs) President Kimball turned and saw his beloved associate and delightfully corrected his previous announcement. The people loved the incident. He used to ask Brother Benson to hold his cane as he stood at the pulpit because he couldn't read his notes and he couldn't use the teleprompter. And he said, Brother Benson, hit me on the leg with my cane when my time is up. And that great message would pour, come forward. During his last few days, he commented to President Kimball that it really doesn't matter which side of the veil I work on because I'm ready any time the Lord wants me. But I guess the, the Lord hasn't decided where to use me but he'll let me know and when he finds out he'll place he'll have a place for me 
After President Kimball learned of the death of LeGrand Richards, he said, I guess the Lord found a place for him on the right side of the veil. We will miss the familiar scene of seeing Elder LeGrand Richards at the Salt Lake Airport with a heavy briefcase in one hand, his cane in the other, limping along in a fast pace towards his plane. When people would offer to carry his briefcase, his reply would be, Oh, I can carry it. It keeps me young. When someone asked, Are you in pain? He said, Yes, but no more than I can stand. We were being taught by a great man what it means to labor with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. We were taught what it means to be valiant, valiant to the end. If we carefully study the life of LeGrand Richards, we will learn what he did with the talents that the Lord blessed him with. We will learn what can be accomplished by a happy, positive disposition. Learn how people's lives can be changed by helping them change the attitude of mind. And learn to, learn to have an unwavering faith in the goodness of our Lord and in his eternal plan of salvation we would then find the secret of how he blessed the lives and lifted up their hearts to to teach them to want to do better. If we would exemplify his life, we would also become a marvelous work and a wonder. Now, as we develop our faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, should we not all have a determination to, to be better men and women? Does not God grant such power unto men in order that they might reflect the light of Christ and to be an example? As a result of the added strength and testimony you receive at this symposium, you should become more diligent in obeying the commandments of God. As we continue to obey the commandments, we will receive more light and truth, and this light and truth will distill upon our souls. We will know our Lord. We will know him better. We will want to follow in his ways. We will want to reach out with a deeper love to others that we might reach and that we might touch. The day preceding the eating of the Passover, Jesus instructed his disciples where to find a room so that they could meet together and receive his instructions. In that room, Jesus met with the twelve, and they sat down to eat. After they had finished, Jesus taught them and ministered to them. He washed their feet and said to them, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Then he taught them, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Little children, he taught them, yet a little while, and I am with ye. Ye shall seek me, and I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. 
But this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And as he continued to teach them, he taught, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. But Thomas asked the Lord, We know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And the Savior replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world again, again. I leave the world and go to the Father. Where, wheresoever ye shall, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And while in that upper room, Jesus initiated the sacrament, picked up the bread, break it, prayed over it, and passed it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And this cup of wine, and this cup is the New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you. Then after introducing the sacrament, the Savior said to his disciples, It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Savior prayed to the Father for the apostles and all believers. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, <clears throat> the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I testify to you by the power of the Holy Ghost that God, our eternal Father, lives, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, crucified <clears throat> for the sins of the world, to cleanse it from all unrighteousness, that through him might all be saved. He is our Redeemer, our Lord, our King. 
His kingdom is again established on the earth. This is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This church, by divine direction, is preparing the world for the second coming. For he will come again, I humbly declare unto you, in his holy name, amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.